this morning, before we get into the reading, while I'll be preaching from, I want to read to you a passage that will give us some foreshadowing to what we're going to be talking about all morning. So let me read to you from Luke chapter 22. It says in verse 14, when the hour had come, he sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup it is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. Now this morning, we're going to talk about why this occurs in the New Testament. Obviously, there's a lot to the story, and there's much to be considered, but if you were just reading the Bible for the very first time, and you saw phrases like Passover, and that the feast was to be celebrated, you might not understand all the historical significance that's there. But you would see something very ornate happening in the midst of the life of Jesus and his followers, and you would say, but I don't really understand it. Now, we can see the symbolism in his death and understand these, that there's a connection there. But this morning, I want you to go back with me to the Old Testament and look at some of the why, why that's happening, and, and look at that together as a group so that we can prepare ourselves for what we will, what we will experience later as a, as a congregation. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 12, keeping in mind that Jesus and his disciples so many years later was celebrating this and understanding that every good Hebrew of Jewish faith would have been part of this celebration each and every year. But what you don't know is that the reason that it's instituted is because a great deal of bondage a great deal of the nation being completely oppressed because of the, the decisions that they made which led them into being servants to a, com, a completely different nation. And God has to step in in a big way and intervene, and by doing so, he delivers his people. And all this is predicated upon our inability as a people to follow God's instruction. That when we can't follow God's instructions, that he will lean in and save us, but it comes at a price. So when you get to Exodus chapter 12, if you'll find verse number 21, and when you get there, if you would stand in honor of God's word. Exodus chapter 12, verse number 21. And this is a small excerpt, just a little slice of the greater story. So I want you to know that there's a great big story here and would encourage you to read the chapter preceding this, the chapter that it's in, and the chapters following it to understand the bigger picture here. But verse 21 of chapter 12 in Exodus reads this way. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. 
And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Would you pray with me? Lord, we look to the scriptures and are reminded that there's a reason for absolutely everything we do in church. There is a reason for every bit of our worship and every bit of our prayer and every bit of our study. Lord, because you have guided us, Lord, safely to a place where we might know salvation and we might hold it dear to ourselves but also share it with the world around us. Lord, let us remember you today in a way that strikes meaning in every piece of the motions that we'll go through so that we will see this with deep reverence and we will, we will tremble knowing that there was a price that was paid and that we ought always keep this in mind as we behave and act in the world around us. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're not familiar, and I love the book of Exodus because the book of Exodus is this beautiful picture of God's deliverance of the people of Israel. And like I said, this deep bondage that they were in. And I don't know about you, but when you look around the world that we live in, you probably have noticed that there's a, a, a significant amount of people that find themselves bound up in all manner of problems. Everything from addiction to, to deep and unbearable debt to, to living a life where, where we just wake up to do the routine to keep ourselves just trying to be one step ahead of the, of the taskmasters that would, that would take everything from us if we didn't keep ahead of them, right? And it feels like this is the, the life that we live in. And we remember that when we look to Exodus that God leaned in on his own nation once upon a time because of the choices they had made and put themselves into slavery under Egypt, that God says, I have to do something about it. The people began to cry out to God, and God comes to Moses and says, I have heard the cries of my people. You, you have to know, as a group of believers in this place, that if you ever want God to lean in, that we ought to follow some of the examples we see in the Old Testament where the children of God cry out to him as a group, as a collective group, and say, help deliver us as a people. Our nation is so wedded to so many problems that would lead us away from God that we probably, as a, as a congregation, ought to take a step forward and say, we will lead this advance to cry out to God and say, help our nation. Our nation's in deep, deep need. You know, when we come to the table to celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's not just about knowing that Jesus died for us. It's about seeing God's deliverance and the threat of it all the way through the entire scriptures. You realize that when Jesus sat down with his disciples to do this, as I read in Luke, that he had been doing it every year of his life. And that he knows he's going to the cross and this will be the last time that he celebrates with the people God's deliverance. And he, and he speaks to that. And the significance of it is, is that from this moment in Exodus where God tells them what to do until that time, 
the Hebrew people had been celebrating the Passover, the sacrifice that gave them deliverance, and Jesus was taking the place of that at the cross, forever changing the narrative for us. But let's look at the verses together. I want to show you some interesting parallels that I see that, that emerge from the page, but also some, some biblical timeless truths that I think that we can take away from Exodus 12. Verse 21 says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, significant point here. Moses leans in to the leaders of the nation and he involves them in the process. And it is something to be said about that when we look at, at the way that God models some important things, this doesn't look very different than when you look at the parallel in the New Testament where Jesus leans in and finds a group of people to become leaders, although from unlikely corners of the place. He picks people out and says, come follow me. And as a result, God is doing this really cool work in the Old Testament through Moses and in the New Testament through Jesus. And we see these really cool pictures where he's inviting a group of people, albeit a smaller group, to impact a much larger group. Had you ever considered that God might be inviting you into a work that might be foundational for the deliverance of your community? I mean, some of us are just sitting here saying, I just came to church, Brother Ben, because I'm supposed to. But you might come across a passage of Scripture that might help you to see that God might be inviting you as a community leader or just an average person in the community to become a leader that would help your community be, to be delivered from the sin that would take them from this world to a hell that's in front of us. That's the kind of thing that happens when we get close to God in the scriptures. We begin to see his invitation everywhere. And then we begin to realize that those invitations didn't stop just because the Bible was completed. Those invitations continue and they echo out forever until his return. And the invitation might be for you this morning to be just like this where, where someone might be leaning out and saying, we need the leaders to come together and they're going to do this important specific task. Well, what is that task? Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families. Such an interesting passage. You know, there are all kinds of interesting rules that are laid out in the scriptures for sacrifice. Sacrifice that's important through, throughout the narrative of the, of the entire scriptures with regard to how much this animal covers. Right? And you're thinking to yourself, what a peculiar thing. Well, you have to pick out the appropriate number of, of animals to cover the families in your community. And you're like, that seems interesting, right? And we're like, we, we know very little about this. Typically, as a church congregation, we have a cursory knowledge maybe, but we don't really study this kind of stuff. And you're thinking to yourself, there was a measured amount of sacrifice that is coming from their wealth or their lack of wealth that was necessary in order for this to be right in the eyes of God. And he says, get the leaders and tell them to go out and do this. You see this really interesting parallel that happens from the Old Testament to the New Testament, bookends, if you will, where God picks a lamb. And by his measure is sufficient for all the families. And it's one. And his name is Jesus. You know, one of the really hard parts for us is that oftentimes we forget how much this is woven together. And all the scriptures are tied into a, into a continuous thread. So much so that we don't understand that when we look to Christmas and, and all throughout the month of December, we're going to talk a lot about the season. 
And so I hope that you're geared up and ready for this, but you're going to see, hopefully, maybe for, for, for some of you the first time, a Christmas narrative that tells a different story, one that, that reaches just a little deeper into the Scriptures and challenges us to see it just a little different. There's an image that I, I've included in this morning that, that I, I, want, I want, if we have it, if we can put it on the screen. I know that I gave it to Justin, so hopefully you guys have it. If we can, It, it looks like a, a stone trough. I know that doesn't make much sense to you here. And for those of you that are biblical scholars in the room that have studied anything about it, you know that the, the narrative of, of Christ's birth is a, is a Christmas story that we love. Angels declare his glory, and, and Mary and Joseph have to scramble to find a place for, for them to give birth. And when they do, they get into this, well, they get into this stable. And when they lay Jesus into the manger, oftentimes we see the little wooden one we built you know, the cross section on the ends and the straw in it. And, and, and I'm here to tell you that if you, if you understand the narrative of, of the Middle East, you'll understand that there's not a lot of wood. But you say, well, why is that significant, that trough? Well, because most of the troughs feeding animals were hewn out of stone because there's plenty of stone in that part of the world. And you say, but, but why is that significant that Jesus, when he was born, as this lamb that God picked, as a parallel to the lamb that all the families would have to pick, would be laid in that trough. Why is that significant? Because it's a bookend, and it shows us a story that Jesus was born into this world to be laid in a stone. And it's the same foreshadowing that we see here, that Jesus, when he's laid in that trough, is a picture of his death and his burial. And if you don't see the continuity, you're missing it. That always the testimony of Jesus and the sacrifice as the lamb for our sins is that he was coming to die. And that when we remember him at this table, we're remembering that a price was paid and that it was always going to be this way. And that God would pick for the measurement of all the families in the world one lamb that would pay the price for all of them. And none of us could offer anything that would be equal to it. So when you see this, this, this holiday manger scene, I don't want you to run out, and this is Brother Ben telling you to be kind to your friends who have a nativity scene on their lawn that doesn't have a stone manger. Don't run out and tell them they're wrong unless you can do so in love. But don't run up and say, Brother Ben told us that that's not biblical. You know, I don't want them to hate me before they meet me. Okay? But when you put the right manger in the scene, you see the story makes a lot more sense. When you start to look at Exodus 12 and you begin to see that, that this story about how they're gonna conduct themselves, that when a Hebrew person saw Jesus, and they, they understood all the symbolism, it would have been undeniable in the eyes of somebody who was raised to look to the Messiah. And it would have been pure disobedience for them to discredit or deny him. Because he's the lamb. It, it says that they're supposed to pick one, and the, and the very final words of the verse says, and kill the Passover lamb. Significant moment sacrifice, the shedding of blood, the remission of sins, all these things, this picture of deliverance in the midst of bondage. And it's all present in Jesus' manger. If you follow along, you'll see a picture of Jesus' testimony that, the, that everything testifies to him coming to be a sacrifice. That Christmas and Easter aren't nearly as far apart as you think they are. Verse 22 it says, and you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood, 
that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of the house until morning. And this is interesting. And I want you to think about the, the picture here. And there's, there's other elements and lots of things that could be talked about and not enough time this morning to unpack such a big topic. There was explanation about how they should dress at this moment. There was explanation about the bread that should be cooked in preparation for this and what should be used. Explanation to the seasonings that they would use to dip the bread in. All of these tell, tell a story. The clothing was supposed to be worn in such a way that they could leave right then and right now, being ready to always follow God's instruction and always being ready to, be, to run away from the bondage that we're in. The picture of the bread is a picture of haste. We don't have time to wait to let it rise. We have to eat it. We have to make it fast. And the picture of the herbs and spices they used to season everything that would have been bitter in the taste of their mouth to remind them that bondage is not a place to live in, but a place to run from. And all these pictures are there, and I don't have time to unpack all of them, but to tell you that we're just getting to the blood here. When he says that you should take this blood, and you should use the blood to mark your doorpost. And it's a testimony to tell the world. First, we tell our families, we do this because of God. And second, we do this to tell the world outside of us, we follow God. And the visible symbol ought first be to ourselves, and then to our families, and then later to the outside world. So that we ought to be telling the world, when we take this bread and this cup in just a few minutes, we're telling the world, we follow God because he delivers people from their sin. And we tell it to ourselves first and we remember him. And then we tell it to our children so they will know the truth. And then we tell it to the world around us that we take this in remembrance of him because he's the one lamb that was picked. And we continue on. I mean, it's this beautiful testimony. Well, we go on, and you see verse 23 as it emerges, right? And this next part is hard medicine. It says, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And there's a great question that emerges when you study this in Old Testament survey. You'll go through this, this exhaustive picture where you look at this, and, and if you don't, you should. And the question that will emerge is, how can a loving God allow this type of a thing to happen? And I will tell you something that you need to know about God, is that God has offered this salvation to every single person. But know for certain the truth of God that there is indeed a judgment in front of him that is both just and right and every bit of it. You know, we were talking, I was talking, you know, in the, in the car, we were riding home from, from an event yesterday and my son has this question about something in the world around us and, and my wife is making the point to say, it sounds good in theory, but in practice it doesn't work out. And I asserted to my son that in order for certain things to be just or right and fair, you would have to have an authority that sat over it that was perfect, that was just, that was right, that was merciful in the right moments, but just in, in the right moments as well. And the problem is, is that mankind is bad at this. So most of the things that happen in the world around us are skew. They're not quite right or level. And that's part of the problem we live in is that we're humans and we're flawed. And we know we have to have a picture here where we have to see it and God has to declare it that he is just, and that as a result, the judgment that's coming, we deserve it. And the only way to avoid it 
is by following his instructions. See, there's not a way to be partway saved here, to be almost on the right path, to be trying to do the right things. There's only a way to be saved. It's, it's not about doing it almost right. You don't almost get saved. You get saved or you don't. God's judgment's coming or it's not. And the only way is to take the blood of the lamb, to remember his sacrifice, to take the testimony. So that way when, when it comes time for judgment, God will know that the only reason I stand here today is because I am covered by the blood of the lamb and there's no other way. If you have not Christ's sacrifice, you have not assurance of salvation. We see the picture here and we understand that God's judgment is swift. And I want to tell you something about it. It's accurate, right? It's accurate. Do you know why I believe God's judgment is accurate? Because of that picture right there because he knows exactly what he paid for the forgiveness of those who would have it. You know, how many of you have ever gotten home from the supermarket and you're going through the groceries and there's a bag that's been left at the store? Anybody guilty? Do you pick the phone up and call the grocery store and say, hey, I left some of my stuff there. Is it still there? Or do you just say to yourself, man, I don't know if it's worth the time investment to go back down to the store. It's not like this with God. He doesn't miscalculate and get home with half the groceries. He pays exactly and precisely the amount that's necessary. Not one cent more, one cent less, and it's sufficient to pay the bill, and he's accounted for all of it. When he gets home, he has all of his children. There's a picture here for us that God's, God's judgment is swift and accurate because it has to be in order for everyone who needs him and wants him, they can be saved. We see the picture and we see the side of his, judge, his judgment and his just judicial administration and we understand that if it were not this way, that you and I wouldn't get in at all. But it's because he offers us a way some of us do. Anyone who believes in Christ Verse 24 goes on to tell us this story. You shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and for your sons forever. I, I don't know about you, but this is a picture, and there's a word here that I love. I love the word forever. I want you to look at your neighbor and say forever. How long should they remember this? We still remember it, even though Jesus' death on the cross and his sacrifice is the sacrifice that we use to remember it by. But we still remember it. Because it doesn't say until Jesus comes, it says forever. Remember my deliverance. Remember the bondage that you were in. Remember what it cost me. Remember it forever. Teach it to your children. You know, the greatest witnessing that will ever happen in your, in your household and your family is when you can witness to your, your own children. If you do not pray for the salvation of your children or your grandchildren or your grandchildren's children, you should start. This picture of these remembrance and these things that we believe. For far too long, I think that the testimony is, well, it's good for me, but I don't know about anybody else. It, 
it is clear that the biblical expectation is, is that we won't just talk about it to the people who also believe it. We'll tell it to our children and to their children and to everyone else. It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord. I mean, we see that coming up in the verses, don't we? We read a little further, and it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice. One of the things that we're going to, to take place today, and hopefully some of the training that I, I offer just this brief little bit here, is, is that we have an opportunity for every single person in here who is a believer in Jesus to participate today. Well, that, that means is, is that you follow Christ, and that you have made a public display of that before an audience to say that you follow him, you are welcome to participate. But there might very well be in this room some children who have yet to make that decision. In that instance, what I would encourage is their family members or friends that are close by them would help them to understand that this is not yet for them. But there is a day coming. And when they say to you, why can't I do it? You'll say to them, because you need to put your faith in Christ in the one lamb. Then you can celebrate with us. You see, this is the testimony for the world around us, that there is a distinct difference between those of us who follow and those of us who have yet to follow. And we are responsible for teaching it to them. We make a grave mistake by offering it to everyone, whether or not they have made a decision. Because in doing so, we give them a false assurance that does not exist. So we will be like in these scriptures, we will tell the children, this service means it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel and Egypt. And we will speak to them of our own salvation. We'll say, this is a remembrance of when Christ came to this world to die on the cross. And I believe it. And God raised him from the dead. And because of his shed blood, I am saved. And so can you be. Well, we see it though, that all too often we want to friendly it up. One of the greatest tragedies in American culture is, is that everybody gets a trophy. You say to yourself, Brother Ben, it's not kind at the end of the Little League season for these kids who have gone to all the practices and, and have played right alongside everybody else to not get a trophy. And what I will tell you is, is that I didn't come to Christ because of my victory. I came to Christ because of my devastating loss. You see, when I look at the kid who holds up the trophy and I didn't get it, I say, what do I need to do to get the trophy? And the coach says, well, you got to have to work a lot harder. And somebody looks at you and says, well, why can you celebrate the Lord's Supper and I cannot? It has nothing to do with your work in this instance. It has everything to do with your belief. When you believe as we believe, then you will be welcome. You see, but by celebrating the mediocrity, what we've told everybody is, is that you don't actually have to do the necessary steps in order to have the thing. But instead, what we tell the world is, is that we get to have the we get to have the prize of salvation because of our belief. And until we have done it, we do not deserve to be part of it. So I would encourage you today, that when small children around you that have not yet made decisions, that if you feel like that's bad news and that Brother Ben's a villain, that it ought to inspire you to do one thing when you leave here. Cry out to God and ask for their salvation. Don't be mad at me. Be mad. Be mad that you haven't done a better job in, in leading them yet that you haven't prayed enough for them, that you haven't earnestly desired these things for them. It, it brings to you a stark contrast today that I, I hope that it would help you to see that, that the, 
desire is not for me to upset you, but is to warn you. We see this picture. It goes on in the passage, and there's more to learn here. And we see that as we get to the latter verses, that there's this moment where it seems to all be kind of wrapping itself up. All these lessons have been taught, right? We've told our children the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over all the houses of the children of Israel when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people, it says now, bowed their heads and worshiped. I oftentimes think, in all the times that I've ever been a part of a Lord's Supper, that sometimes it's a matter of routine and not often enough about worship. You see, we, we ought to be overcome with the sensation of gratitude and of, of sorrow and joy all mingled together because what Jesus did for us, but also in the glorious truth of his resurrection and in the powerful understanding that I was raised to new life. And so I worship him because I know what it cost him and I know the things that, it, that were in my life that drove it to a necessary point of this, but I also understand that because of forgiveness, there is resurrection. And as a result, worship ought to be the thing that culminates in this. If you're thinking that when we get to the moment where we pass out the elements that it's anything but worship, you're missing it. You're missing it. You get to break bread today and share the cup with all of the people in here who believe just like you, all testifying to the same thing to tell the world around us that we believe that there's a God in heaven who loves us so much that he sent his son. And our testimony and our worship will be evident. We get to verse number 28 in the final verse here. It says, then the children of Israel went away and did so. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And there's this powerful picture. Anytime you see repetition in the Old Testament, you know it's there for emphasis. And it says that they went and they did it. And then it says, and they did so a second time. And it's an exclamation point in the language. It's a dramatic statement for saying, he said to do it, so they went and did it. That's what they did. And it's like saying, it's important that we do this right. I love this throughout all of Hebrew texts as you read them. Vayomer and God said, and then the people go and do, and it says, and then the people do. And you see this repetition over and over and over. It's why when you get to the, the story of Jonah that it's so stark contrast when it says, and God told Jonah to go, and, and it says, and then Jonah didn't. It's like if you were reading that as a Hebrew person and you had read your whole life, God said to do it, and they went and did it. God said to do it, and they went and did it. God, and then you got this part, and it's like, and God said to do it, and he didn't do it. You'd be like, <gasps> so different, right? God has given some clear instruction here, and I've only taken a slice out of the chapter of all the instruction, but it tells us something about his sacrifice, and it tells us something about the way that we should behave and the parallels between it and the New Testament and this picture of Jesus coming to be this sacrifice. And as we launch into the holiday season, already giving thanks for everything, now looking towards, towards this celebration of Christ for the next several weeks, I hope that this holiday season will be emphasized by the remembrance of why he came that we will celebrate this morning and we will worship. 
and it will be part of our lives. You know, in a moment, I'll offer an invitation, and, and there's, a, there's a warning that I have to share with you, and I'm going to read it to you, and I know I told you I was going to read you three different passages of Scripture today. If you look to where we will follow when we do the, the actual physical action here, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And then there's some warnings, part of the invitation here. It says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy, unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Well, the, the warning here is simple, and, and as I give you this instruction, I will tell you, in a moment after we've had the invitation, I'll invite your deacons to come, and we'll talk about the elements, and we'll distribute them, and you'll be able to take a part. But during this invitation, you have one last opportunity, that if you know you have habitual sin in your life, if you have disagreements with brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or other people in your life, and you need to set these things aside for this moment and ask forgiveness for these things and be right with God before you come to him to remember his sacrifice because he came and offered his sacrifice to forgive you of all of this. But don't come in a manner that's unworthy. You might simply not yet be ready to make this decision to deal with this thing today. And so when the cup and the bread there and they come to you and you let them pass by, no one will judge you. But wait until your life is right. The scripture tells us that if we have something between somebody else, we should lay that gift down on the altar, go deal with our brother or sister in Christ, and then come back to make our sacrifice. I would hope that today that we would observe this in a manner that is worshipful but is also honest before God. So this time of invitation starts this way that you might be in this place today knowing that this, this salvation of God that was described throughout the sermon doesn't meet your life in any way, shape, or form, and that you don't understand it and you want to know more. You are welcome to come, and I'll be glad to receive you. I'm going to invite Brandon to come just like we do, and I'll even invite Boyd to, to stand at the back. And If you want to come and talk to one of us about knowing God, understanding Jesus, and being saved, we're, we're, we're excited about this for you. But you might just want to come and Ask God to clean the slate. You got some busted family stuff or you got some busted work stuff or you got some, some habitual sin in your life that you want to just lay on the altar and give to God before we, before we, we take this, this ordinance as this is described, then I would encourage you to do that. So we're going to ask you to stand and I'm going to invite Justin to come and play. And we'll open a time of invitation and then we'll, we'll move forward with the Lord's Supper. Once you're standing, if you'll bow your heads. Lord God, we thank you for an opportunity to be in your house. One where we come face to face with scripture and it's a reminder to us that this holiday season ought to be remembering that you came to this world and everything about you coming was foreshadowing forgiveness of sin, sacrifice, and salvation. I pray that as we enter into this time of worship, of invitation, and then the Lord's Supper, 
that you would be the highest point in our thinking and every bit of our attention would be upon you and we would come and lay our lives before you knowing, Lord, that we're, that we're never more ready to worship you than when we have told you the whole truth about ourselves. And I pray that we would tell you today the whole truth about ourselves, that you would hear us, that you would forgive us, and that you would allow us this time of worship. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.